Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues today in Cleveland, Ohio. Our guest today, Kurt Tischer from Temple 8, and we're going to talk to him and talk to the band Temple 8 in just a moment. If they ever do a movie called Where the Hell is Tecumseh, Kansas, the answer is going to be easy. It's where you find Monkey House Guitars. Monkey House Guitars is a small made-to-order guitar shop. If you think it, they can build it. Some of the most beautiful handmade guitars you'll ever see meticulously designed and crafted for your specifications. Nothing by machine. Hand-laid frets. Everything routed and sanded at Monkey House Guitars. The Multiverse Guitar is singularly one of the most innovative and interesting guitars I think I've ever seen being made. And you can see it be made yourself by going to their Facebook account. And he's got the, like, the whole video and the photos and everything. You can watch it step by step. Like the hands of Mike Thompson, an amazing artisan who will not let me call him a luthier because he can't be called a luthier for some reason. But still, check them out. Monkey House Guitars, all one word, Monkey House Guitars, Tecumseh, Kansas on Facebook. Monkey House Guitars, right? If you can dream it, they can build it. Our guest, Temple 8 and Kurt Tischer. And aside from some technical difficulties we had in trying to get my microphone to quit falling down and whatever else issues we had coming our way, we made it. We're here. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Now, you're not technically, you're not in Ohio, but the band is. You're in Michigan. You said Fraser, Michigan. Is that correct? Right. Fra Fraser, Michigan. Uh, I moved here about 10 years ago, but uh, my bandmates are there in Ohio, and that's where everything started. So, um, you know, I was born and raised in Ohio. I ended up having to move here for other reasons, and they're still there. And, you know, a lot of like our stats and stuff that are driven on Reverb Nation are driven by that location. So it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to change any of that. So I still say, yeah, we're based in Cleveland and, yeah. you know, we just keep it going that way. It's only a three hour drive from where I'm at anyway. So you say only a three hour drive. I'm about a half hour from my, my buddies that I play music with and it's drudgery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in the car yeah, and drive a half an hour. Cause then I got to drive back a half an hour. You're talking three hours, dude. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it gets, it can be, it can be drudgery. Yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, I've gotten used to it over the years. How long you been together? The current lineup has been together since I think 2009. The first lineup was, um, right around 2003 and the origins for what ended up becoming like stuff on the first album started way back in like 1987. No kidding. Wow. Like that. So, yeah. So what was that? How did that begin? Was that you or was it somebody else in a band and they said, Hey, let's yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the primary songwriter and, and, um, uh, lyricist. So the, the origins, I guess the, the, the song origins started around 19, like late eighties. And I started, you know, writing some songs and putting them down on demos and using a drum machine to try and make everything happen. Yeah hoping to you know get a band together and it didn't happen for a long long time and then i met a guy by the name of dave clark who ended up becoming my drummer and i tossed him all these demos i met dave through uh through a cover band that we were playing and it was actually a david bowie tribute 
So uh, I was like, let's get together and do some originals if you got time, you know? So he's like, yeah, sure. So I threw him a bunch of these these demos and I'm like, here, here's the drum machine. I can can take it out and just leave the click track if you want. Make it sound human. So I, uh, I gave him a bunch of songs and he worked with them for a couple few weeks and came back to the studio and showed me some of his ideas and kind of bounced some other ideas you know, around and like, okay, well, I like what you did here. And I like what you did over here. Can you combine these two things? And so it just kind of all grew from there. Yeah. Um, and it ended up just being me and Dave for a while. And then... I'm sorry, did you call yourself Temple 8 back then? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, that was, well, that was, by the time I met Dave, it was 1998. Yeah. So we were calling it Temple 8. And then we met, Dave had another project and his bass player was interested in what Dave was doing with me. So that's how we got our first bass player, Brian Glotty. And that lineup lasted from, I would say about 2003 to about 2007. And then Brian kind of dropped out of the picture. Well, actually, both Brian and Dave dropped out of the picture for a little while. I got a couple other guys, Scott Dahl on drums and um, Ivan Williams. They call him Big Ive. And he's um, he was living in Cleveland at the time, but he's actually originally from here in Michigan. So it was, it was kind of funny. At one point, after he had left the band, he moved back to Michigan. And then I moved to Michigan. So now he and I are about an hour apart again. Oh, funny. Now, is he, um, uh, is he with the band yeah. again then? No, actually, Brian is back. Oh, okay. And so the current lineup is myself, Brian Glotty, the original bass player, and Scott Dow, who is the second drummer. Okay. And you sing and play guitar, correct? I sing, play guitar, do a lot of the keyboard stuff. Uh, you ever play both? Well, oddly enough, yes, using like foot pedals and stuff. Sometimes I'll use my hands if I have a free hand, but that was, you know, I mean, one of my biggest inspirations was three guys from Canada. They called Rush. Yeah, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they were a huge influence on me back in the day, probably most of my life. I don't think there's been another band that I've chased around more. I started to model my whole guitar rig, you know, after that kind of thing. So right, I've right. got a couple of keyboards and foot pedals and all of that stuff. You know, and what I can't do Sometimes, I mean, a lot of bands are using tracks. So, you know, in a live situation, what I can't do myself just ends up on a track. Oh, okay. But sometimes that helps, so, you know. I, there's a Yeah, sometimes, I mean, it helps to round out the arrangement. I mean, sometimes when you're just home, you just want to jam and you don't want to drive three hours, too. It's good to have a track. You just go into your studio, plug something in, pick up your guitar and start playing for a while just to keep your chops up, you know. That's fun. Right, right. At least, at least that's what I've been told. So... <laughs> yeah, I'm, still, I'm still building a studio when it gets done then I'll, I'll get a chance to try that out so now uh how often do you guys get together if you're three hours away do you practice once a month once every couple of months if you come up with some new stuff do you say hey guys i wrote some new stuff or what how's that work actually yeah we actually i i've been working on some new stuff but we haven't actually done anything since we've been we've only actually got together once since they lifted like all the lockdowns and stuff from the pandemic. Yeah. It doesn't bother me that much. I mean, those guys have, they're busy. Scott's got another project. Brian's got another project. Mm -hmm. And Scott is in really into um, like scuba diving and that kind of stuff. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I maintain my uh, um, rehearsal space in Cleveland and 
there's been a lot of things going on in my life too that have just kind of gotten in the way you know keeping us from from getting together now that things are warming up and summer's coming we'll probably start doing some stuff you know when we're all in the groove it'll be like okay well let's start doing this thing again and yeah. you know i'll book a couple of shows and we'll start together get together like once every week every two weeks how receptive are is your market or are your markets that you play in to temple eight and original music i would imagine cleveland's phenomenal it's a good scene music scene over there there's a lot of a lot of places that you know host original bands there's a lot of places in ohio and in general outside of cleveland too and in other cities in columbus and in dayton and Cincinnati and you know there's a good market for original music in Ohio and there's a good market for original music here although we haven't done a show here yet so so where is Frazier you said three hours where is it in terms of anything else in Michigan are you near Lansing? It, it's it's a suburb of Detroit it is okay so it's oh. about 14 miles northeast of Detroit so the real question then here is are you a Red Wings fan <laughs> not much, you know, in the term, not much of a hockey fan, actually. Okay. I know that Dave, my first drummer, he was yeah. a Red Wings fan. Well, I said you're welcome. Because <laughs> I'm a hockey fan. I'm a blues fan. I'm from, from St. Louis. And at one time, you guys won a Stanley Cup with our goaltender, Curtis Joseph, our right winger, Brett Hall, and our uh, left winger, yeah. Brendan Shanahan, if I remember correctly. You had all three of them on your team and won a Stanley Cup or two. So you're welcome. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, just to show how much he was into, uh, um, hockey, his email address was like pucking sticks at whatever, oh. wherever his uh, email address was at. <laughs> That's um, yeah. funny. So, uh, we're yeah. going to talk about a few songs that you've written and the first one's called at the summit, but I wanted to talk to you just about with this long distance thing, your distance from the band. So you have a time to, you have time to write yourself, but you've been with the band long enough that you kind of know how your bass player might pick up on this part and the drummer might pick up on this part. Is that how you write? Do you write with the band in mind or do you write and then let them figure it out when you present them with the music? Uh, it's a little bit of both actually. Yeah. Um, I write with them in mind and sometimes I'll say, okay, well, here's this drum part that oh. I was thinking of. And, you know, I slapped it together on the drum machine and can you do this <laughs> and, and, and make it sound real and spontaneous and again, human, <laughs> right? Um, uh, there's, a, there's a band yeah. from New York called uh, uh, Atlas, Atlas and Oracle. And that, that's their problem. They're, they're uh, their main songwriter and lead, you know, front man, I guess. They, they don't play out much. They do a lot of digital sales and that's how they get their name on their, their music or whatever. And uh, I said, is there any conflict when such and such will send you some music and the drummer says, yeah, I'll just tell him I can't do that. I'm only one guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's get, funny. Similar. Yeah. So you, you write when, uh, things together it, and then uh, they make their contribution, tell you if they can or can't do it. And I guess then you're open to variations of your suggestion, right? Right, right. And we toss things around and, you know, maybe we'll move some things around. Sometimes, you know, I'll have a demo where it's like, okay, well, this is it, right? Yeah. All I need is, you know, for somebody to come up with, here's the bass part I want, here's the drum part. Well, it, it might just be a click track. I'd be like, Scott, drop this in and, and drop something good in here. Let's see if we can make it work. And sometimes it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. 
I'm open to, uh, you know, rearrangements and stuff like that. Now you mentioned at the beginning when you were going through the, the, the band and their personnel, as you mentioned that you're a lyricist. So is that where your songs come from first, your lyrics? Usually what I'll do is I'll write the lyrics and then I'll try and figure out like what the rhythmic kind of tempo and syllabic structure and stuff kind of leads me to on, you know, on a guitar. Other times I'll just be farting around with the guitar and, you know, a melody will come along and I'll start with something like three minutes of just me humming and whatever. Right. Yeah. And da, 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 da. And then next thing you know, it starts turning into words. Once I get a flow of words coming out and then things start to, I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, at now the I summit, got a topic, you know? Yeah. Well, how did at the summit come about and uh, what's it about? At the summit, oddly enough, came about um, right around the time of like when the Soviet union was collapsing. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, at the summit, I wrote it from, at least in my mind, I was like, okay, some world leader, right? Like speaking to a crowd of people, like, you know, I mean, it was a whole period of like detente and all of that right. kind of stuff where Soviet Union was collapsing and seemed to maybe usher in, you know, a more calm period. The Cold War was coming to an end and all of that stuff. So maybe a little more cooperation from, from you know, that side of the globe, right? And that's kind of where it came from. And I slapped together a demo in the middle of the night <laughs> and I was kind of drunk when it happened and i thought it was like really great and then i went back and listened to it like a day later and i'm like oh this is horrible <laughs> but at least i had the idea down i thought that the actual recording was like this is going to be great it got better <laughs> yeah yeah i went through like I, I the demos themselves went through maybe like maybe like five iterations before i was like okay now I can take it to, you know, somewhere else and like actually make it a, a bona fide song. Mm -hmm. Most of what you hear now is kind of like the, the evolution of those five iterations that it went through. That's kind of um, cool. It's kind of cool. It's like watching yeah. the baby grow, you know? Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's pretty cool. You saw it from the beginning and now you've got the, the finished product, which leads me to another question, but I'll ask you that on the other side of this. Right now we're going to hear. Okay. Kurt Tischer and Temple 8 here on the Music of America podcast, the song At the Summit.
Temple 8 on the Music of America podcast and their song At the Summit. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. We'll be back in just a sec to talk some more with Kurt Tischer. Talk to him about production after I talk to you bass players. Bass players, listen up. The bag is a high-quality leather gig bag family of products that are handmade in the USA with the finest craftsmanship and a beautiful, sophisticated, very cool overall appearance. They're made of some of the finest quality leather and cushion available and meant to last you literally a lifetime. They've got over 30 years in the leather industry, and they're extremely proud to introduce a whole line of gig bags targeting both the skilled professional as well as the fun-seeking novice. Their hope is that you will love the bag as much as they do. The bag from Tony Vaughn Base Bags, www.tonyvaughn.com when the website's up and running. Sometimes he has problems with it, so you might want to just find him on Facebook. It's Tony Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N, or just go to wherever you get gear, uh, Musician's Friends, Sweetwater, Guitar Center, whatever, and just look up the bag bass gig bags, and you'll find it. Pretty cool. Back with Kurt Tischer here on the Music of America podcast, and uh, the question I led up to is this, and and. I love this question because my brother, first, it's it's not mine. It's my brother's. My brother uh, listens to the show and he said, I would love to know this. And here's where what, where the genesis of this was. A while back, Paul McCartney re-released Band on the Run, an album he recorded with okay. Wings. Okay. But it was called, right. it was called uh, Redubbed or Pre-dubbed, Pre-dubbed, I guess. So when it gets dubbed over, or maybe it was underdubbed. It was something like that. So it wasn't completely raw, but it was before all the finished production qualities got added to it, which meant that because if you listen to it, it sounds great. And then you listen to mm-hmm. the finished product and it sounds great tur, you know? So you kind of appreciate it, mm-hmm. but you all can also appreciate how good it was just as the standalone. So his question is this, when do you think the song is done? Or when do you know, when do you know Ooh. the song is done? And that's something. Oh, that is such a tough question. <laughs> that is th- such a tough question, especially because when I go back to my memories of actually recording the version that we just heard. Mm-hmm. I know that it wasn't done for at least 178 takes of one guitar solo for about 10 <laughs> seconds of that solo. Wow. Because of, yeah, it, I, I mean, I... <laughs> It was one of those things where it's like you're in the studio. It's a sterile environment. Mm -hmm. If you were doing what I was trying to do, if I was doing what I was, what I do live, it wouldn't have mattered. It would have blown right by and everybody in the place, you know, nobody would have noticed. Nobody would have cared. Right. Right. But this is going down on a recording and it's there for all eternity. Right. So (laughs) because it's so quiet and so sterile, is like this string bend and like a combination of like a string bend and a pinch harmonic or something like that in, in the solo. And yeah. you know, listeners can go and listen to it and kind of guess where it might've been. But <laughs> uh, I kept pulling up and something would happen. Like the string would slip out from under my finger and go, you know, like ruin that take uh-huh. or, um, or, or the, the, it wouldn't sustain long enough and it would fade away. And then you'd hear the noise floor of the, of the amps and stuff like that rising up too soon. And, you know, those, those, those kind of things just kind of drove me crazy. Yeah. I totally get it. But when do you know when it's done? I don't know. At at some point you just know. 
at some I, point you just know and you you're like you're either you just know or everyone else goes come on man <laughs> right now, <laughs> you, the, you gotta the, stop you're going too far now i've heard that one a lot okay i've heard that one a lot that uh, when everybody else says we gotta move on the other one i've heard uh off and on i'm surprised i don't hear it more often but i guess it's because a lot of people do home recording is when you run out of money you know, when, when you can't what? afford another hour in the studio, you know, you know, but right. you do a lot of recording yourself, right? You'd use uh, your own. Equipment. Exactly. Yeah. I have a good, you know, at the time I had like a 24 track DAW and it was, it was fine for what we needed. And there was no, the limits, it was really just the limits on my time. Right. Instead of money, it was time. Right. When you, when you don't have any more, yeah. instead of running out of money, you run out of time. When you do a production, when you do a song, when you do an EP, you do an album, whatever, do you put deadlines on yourself? Because it sounds like you do most of the work, right? I do, but they're really more born out of frustration than anything else. Uh-huh. And just a desire to like, just be done with it. Not necessarily kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of another good example. We're not playing this song, um, but uh, on our first album, there's a song called Turn Left. And I had a cold for like two weeks and I wanted to get the vocal track done. No matter what I did, it, it I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait. I just wanted to get it done, but I sounded stuffy and congested and everything. So what did I do? I'm like, all right, let's change this up a little bit. Throw a distortion on my voice and let's just see where it goes. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So I, so I literally sang through a stomp box. <laughs> and anytime I hacked or coughed, it was just all part of the, it became part of the sound of that part track. Of the, part of the sound, how about that? That's clever. And it just became noisy. You know, it was just, a, you know, and it, to me, it actually lended a, a kind of, I don't know, a characteristic yeah. to the vocal track that didn't exist before and actually ended up working. Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, I think I've said this a couple of times here, but Steven Tyler of Aerosmith was recording Sweet Emotion. And he reached in mm -hmm. a bag of goodies, you know, he had all these hand percussions and stuff. And he was looking for shaker eggs and he didn't find any. He said, hang on a minute. He goes in the break room, he comes back with a sugar packet. He says, turn this microphone all the way up. And so on Sweet Emotion, you hear this. It's a packet of sugar. It's not shaker eggs. And I just think that stuff like that, it's just so creative and such, such genius. It, what do they say? Uh, a necessity bores invention or something like that? Necessity yeah, uh, is the mother of, the, the mother yeah, of invention. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's what happens when you when you get 20 takes and your horse throw a distortion on your voice and it turns out pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned that thing about the shakers because I recorded a, a Christmas song um, right after 9-11. I did a, a, a benefit CD. I got a bunch of musicians together from Cleveland, and we did a kind of a yeah, we are the world kind of thing, right, where yeah. we got together and got everybody to make a CD to benefit the Salvation Army and uh, World Trade Center victims and stuff like that after 9-11. And um, on my Christmas song, I think it was We Three Kings, I wanted that sound of like the shaker eggs, mm -hmm. but I didn't have them. So, and I wanted a certain kind of sound more like a, not the shakiness, but I wanted more like a, like, like a, a scratchiness, like a... rubbing fabric, like rubbing two pieces of fabric together or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, scratchy, a scratchy or, sound. And that's yeah. what I ended up doing. And oh, that's really? what I actually ended up doing. 
Yeah. I took two pieces of plastic, two pieces of hard plastic that could have been, you know, if they were round, could have been used for shaker eggs (laughs) 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 to put the little pebbles inside of them or something. Right. But, um, it was just uh, one hard piece of plastic and I rubbed it on the, it was like a stool that in the studio that had like a little, uh, like a little cushion on it. And I just took that piece of plastic and rubbed it back and forth across the stool to get this kind of yourself. You found yeah. your sound. That's cool. Yeah. Now the the next song, next song we're going to listen to is called "The Energy of Slaves." So when a song comes across to me, I have no idea what it's going to be about. So I I just go down this imagination thing, just on the title, and I'm almost always wrong. Okay. Tell me uh, why the energy of slaves and what that's about. Okay. So the energy of slaves is on our second album, Iconoclast. This is just to me it's like i had this this vision of like and i want to still want to make a video for this because it's it's an instrumental there's no lyrics on this yeah. one i the idea that i had was what would the people who built the pyramids have you know what would have sounded like right that's the soundtrack that i'm thinking in my head yeah. is there's that and who knows maybe like like on a slave ship where everybody's down in there with the friggin' oars and every some guy is whipping them and going row you bastard that you know, was that, that was exactly now. dude that was exactly the vision i had of the, the guys are really? all chained together yeah in the long ships yeah and they're chained yeah, yeah. together and they're all ruined and the one guys are beating the drums so they keep them in sync and the other guys got a whip to kind of get them to yeah 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 a little faster if they're slowing down yeah that's exactly the vision yeah yeah so wow. yeah, it was kind of like that, like the kind of kind of the the energy of the slaves and the slave labor that have been kind of used to kind of like build up some of the things that we have in you know in civilization. And then there's a there's a little kind of like a breakdown and a change up in the middle somewhere in the song where to me it signifies like all right, these guys are now breaking their chains, right? And they're revolting and then it all kind of resolves at the end where it's kind of like, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. Right. 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 If that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I love how you come up with a whole story with an instrumental that just, you, you music writers, man, you, you kill me how talented you are. And now when you listen to it and you understand the story behind it, now you get to hear it again, a whole different way. And that's what we're going to do now. We yeah. The story is. So here it is. Temple 8 with Kurt Tischer Mm -hmm. and the song called The Energy of Slaves here on the Music of America podcast.
The Energy of Slaves with Temple 8, here on the Music of America podcast. Founded in 1999, Jazz Generation is a jazz education and performance initiative that creates playing opportunities for children and adults in the New York area through three different types of programs. Well, the one I talk about the most is called Keyed Up. It's their most recent program. It started in 2014. It started by rescuing pianos that were destined for the dumpster. And they position these pianos into smaller local venues that are known for hospitality, like a mom and pop coffee shop is what I often say. All right. They ask the venue to chip in what they can to cover the musician's compensation. So the musician gets paid. But it's a mom and pop coffee shop or a pizza joint or something. You might only be able to afford, you know, 50 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that. Well, this is where Jazz Generation comes in. They kick in the rest. They find out what this musician is going to charge for like a three-hour set or two-hour set or whatever. And mom and pop shop gives them what they can. Jazz Generation gives them the, the rest of the money to help. So it's a, it's a way of helping out the smaller venues. It's a way of getting jazz musicians some early on experience. These are usually young kids, you know, school-age kids that are just getting introduced to jazz. And they can have some, you know, walk-around money in their pocket. Pretty cool. They ask the venue to chip in what they can. And... Jazz Generation covers the rent. It's really neat. So if you want to help them out, help promote jazz in the New York area, check them out, please, at jazzgeneration, jazzgeneration.com. Temple 8 is the band. Kurt Tischer is the lyricist, songwriter, musician, master engineer, and just about everything else. Lead guitarist. And uh, am I missing any lead vocalist? and missing anything else? Keyboard player. <laughs> Keyboard player? Chief bottle washer. <laughs> and the man that rubs two pieces of plastic to get a scratchy sound. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we'll go right into your last song. is called The Big Picture. And it just yeah. seems to kind of fit. There's almost a theme here of, of, of following the Temple 8 trajectory of what you're talking, you know, as you've been talking here in this podcast, that it just seems like it's growing into a big picture. Yeah, I think maybe you're kind of, you're catching on to like the the method to my madness, I guess you say. <laughs> so yeah, what can I tell you about this one? This is actually, I think, to me, at least in terms of the first CD, Enter the Temple, this is probably my favorite song. Really? Um, because it's just so epic to me. I tried to roll everything that I saw wrong in the world into this nine-minute song. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really funny about this is uh, one time we had a show that was like in Maryland and um, I had to find a drummer in a pinch because Scott couldn't be there. And um, so I found a guy from Columbus. He learned all the material, but what was really funny was I think somewhere, even on, I think it's still on my Facebook. It pops up every now and then in my Facebook memories. And it was, Nine minute song. Who does not write a nine minute song? <laughs> and but he was a he was a real trooper because he had to learn about an hour's worth of material in probably about five days. Wow! And when it comes to the Temple Eight stuff, it's it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy material. It's very involved. Um, very involved. Yeah. He did, she did such a good job and it's just really, uh, really, really wild that, uh, 
(laughs) (laughs) memory still pops up nine minutes. Anyway, like I said, I tried to roll everything that I saw wrong um, into this song. There's like how media shapes our perceptions of what's true and false. How marketing companies try to get us to buy stuff we don't really need. Things that are you know, a little on the bad side of religion, all of that, whatever I could think of is kind of in there. You know, politics, it's all in there. If you want to be cynical, uh, this is the place, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But at this, yeah. And I'm basically, I don't know if you could say I'm itchy, I guess, but yeah. And it's also probably one of the most proggy songs that are, that's on the CD, except for uh, maybe the opening track. It's funny you would um, say that because I, when I think of a nine-minute song, I exactly think of like prog rock. You know, it's got to be a prog rock song, you know, because it's nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going yeah, to say it's got a nine-minute. Thought you were going to say it's got a nine-minute drum solo, and then I'm like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's definitely not a nine-minute drum solo, that's for sure. But there's a, it's kind of like a, it's like a Middle Eastern vibe to it. Yeah. Um, one of my friends, who's you know, here from India, he was like, "Oh, wow! I really like that guitar. It's got that kind of almost how they do microtones in India, you know, on on the sitar and stuff. It's got that kind of that kind of vibe to it because cool. it's just you know a lot of little single steps and chromatic scales and stuff." How'd you accomplish that with pedals or just just on <laughs> on your picking? Oh, no, just playing, just, just playing. playing. It was a it, I used a drop detuning and um, it okay. just kind of worked on a D chord in a way. Again, that's a genius, man. You get you just come up with something because you needed to, and you did. That's. I think it's a lot of it's more serendipity. Yeah. You know. Well, um, I've, I've got this theory, and talking to you, musician types here on this podcast, I get this theory that there are, there's, there's this other dimension. It's called music, and music lives there, and music is trying to find its way into this world, and it uses humans as the portal, and every once in a while, you don't know where it comes from, but you'll sit down and just write an. Uh, an epic piece of music and I'll sit there going you know and you'll write a nine nine (laughs) minute sonata that's going to sound lovely you know that's what I think happens yeah so well let's give this a listen the big picture temple eight here on the music of America podcast
Big Picture with Temple Lake here on the Music of America podcast. Kurt, the time flies, even though we have technical difficulties, the time still flies once we get it rolling. And I love that about this. I love uh, I love your energy and I love your creativity and I, I I love your humility and not accepting how genius I think some of the stuff is that you're putting out there. So kudos to you. Yeah, thanks. I just really appreciate, you know, just hearing that every time, you know, it just, you know, it just makes me, it just makes me glow, I guess you could cool. say. Because it's, cool. Well, this is the part of the show that, that some people love. Some people just despise it, but it's, I like it because I don't have to do anything, you know? <laughs> it's the part of the show we call shameless self-promotion. So this is where you talk okay. about Kurt, you talk about Temple 8, you talk about anything you want that we can do to help support you, your music, your art, uh, shows that are coming up, festivals, benefits, anything like that, website, let's have it all. Okay, so website is temple8.net. That's temple and the number 8.net. Um, and most of those links I'm... Sorry to say, uh, some of them are actually, I had to delete them today and just kind of hide them because they were broken uh, because I'm basically redesigning the site as we speak. Um, but uh, then there's the Bandcamp site, which has everything and merch as well. Um, so that would be music.temple8.net. Um, what else? I have a, a, a live production company where I rent PA systems to bands and for events and festivals and that kind of stuff. So if any of your listeners in the Michigan area need a sound system, yeah. give me a holler. Do you um, set it? Do you, excuse me, do you, you set can, it up? Kurt, do you set it up or do you just say here? I, sign? I, yeah, no, no, no. I set it up and I run it. Oh, cool. um, and I have a few guys that, that work with me and that's at thirdear.com. That's a number three, R-D-E-A-R.com. That's Third Ear Productions. Um, what else? Um, I am working on some new material. Um, it's something that my brother, um, he, he had this idea and it all had to stem, it all stemmed around like, um, like everyone being connected to a neural net and all of this kind of weird stuff that now like just like Elon Musk did the Neuralink right. thing yeah. just a little while ago. So now I actually have kind of like a working example that I can kind of look at. And so the idea is kind of like going to be a, uh, a concept album, I guess you could say about yeah. maybe a, a, a mad scientist kind of guy who wants to unite the world, but doesn't um, go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> what direction will this go we have to wait and see or are you going to let us know now if the mad um, scientist is trying to get the world to get along it doesn't go his way and he's a mad scientist i i, I can see this going really bad real quick <laughs> yeah it can go bad real quick um for him and everybody else yeah <laughs> um and that's that's kind of the way that it's that i see it going and um but ultimately how I end up resolving it and how it ends up sounding is still kind of um, in the early, early phases. I've got maybe about two or three pages of lyrics yeah. and maybe only about five minutes of melodies and, and chord progressions, nothing really concrete yet. Yeah. I've well, got some it, artwork too, that I'm going to bring out of the, out of the, out of mothballs for this too. Really? Um, 
some stuff that I did in my early days of, of computing. I mean, I'm, I'm a techno geek. I've been on the information superhighway since it was a dirt road. And, um, <laughs> That's funny. And it, I got, yeah, I got involved in this thing called Pavre Ray Tracer, uh, Persistence of Vision Ray Tracer, which is, you know, now they have, you know, software like Blender and stuff like that that, yeah. you know, does it all really fast and uh, kind of gooey environment where you can see what you're doing. But it, back in the day, it was Pavre, and it was more like a uh, like a C language that you had to basically type it all out. You never really mm-hmm. knew what it was going to look like until you rendered it. Oh, wow. um, so I have a uh, have a couple of things where you know I've got like where I took a one a NASA map of the Earth, wrapped it around a sphere, and put it under a microscope. So there'll be kind of images like that. will be kind of be in there somewhere. That sounds pretty um, clever. Well, we're going to book some, I'm going to book some things yeah. probably for June and July, um, maybe May. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to get on a festival and, you know, like now, you know, we're coming up on, it's like the middle of February, March, April. There's not a whole lot of time to rehearse for, yeah. you know, a show right, right. that's out of state in May. Um, you, when you guys tour, uh, where, where do you go? Do you stay in Ohio, Michigan or Ohio? Yeah, I guess Ohio, Michigan, or do you? Do you go up to like upstate New York? Do you go to Indiana? Do you go south? What do you? Um, in, yeah, Indiana. We do like Fort Wayne and Indianapolis, uh-huh. um, Detroit area, um, obviously Cleveland, Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone as far east as like Maryland, um, Rochester, Utica, um, Philadelphia, you're Erie. Getting close. You're getting close. Got to get up to Vermont, man. We uh. We had a couple of times back in the like the mid 2000s where CD sales were really great for us in Europe, and really? <laughs> it's like the interest the interest was there, but we just couldn't get anybody to like, you know, put the bill to get us get across you, get the you over there. Right, right. Yeah. My my New Year's resolution. One of my New Year's resolutions is to to contact venues in Missouri, in the St. Louis area, because I'm outside of St. Louis, and in Vermont, in Burlington, around there, because I'm up there in the summer. And I can't get you gigs, you know, I can't, but I can say, here, talk to Lee at Radio Bean, or talk to uh, Stack at the Great Grizzly Bear in in Soulard in St. Louis, you know, whomever, you know, I can say, Mm -hmm. talk to these guys, and then it's up to you to get the gig. If you get the gig, let me know, and of course, I'll be there, and I'll promote it on on my media, you know, my stuff too, so anyway. Excellent. Kurt, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Look forward to uh, your success this summer. Keep us posted when the new stuff comes out. I love this concept idea, and I can't wait to hear what it, what it's going to sound like when it's all put together. You know? Yeah, thanks a lot, Tom, for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's fun, man. Thanks. That's Kurt Tischer here thank from you. Temple 8. Thank you, man. Up next, we've got a guest from North Royalton, Ohio, Ricky Biagiola, here on the Music of America podcast. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.